Welcome to the Not Tonight podcast, where we have bold conversations about sex and intimacy in marriage. I'm Rachel. And I'm Caitlin. And we are two married women who believe that telling the truth about sex leads to connection, joy, and freedom. In each episode, we will elevate stories of women discovering their most authentic self by doing the work in their own sex lives. Join us as we hear from incredible women just like you who are discovering that the path to healing begins in the bedroom. Welcome back to the Not Tonight podcast. Hi, everybody. We are so lucky to be here today with the wonderful Dr. Christy Bauman. Thank you so much for being here today, Christy. Mm, thanks, ladies. I'm excited. Oh, us too. For those of you who don't know Christy's work, I have followed her for a couple of years now, and um, she is an author. She is a therapist that focuses on marriage and women's sexuality as it intersects with their spirituality. She is a mother. She is a wife. She has done a documentary of all things. She is a multi-talented woman and I cannot wait to dive into her story today. So yes, thank you so much, Christy, for being here. You guys are great. (laughs) I know. You know, I think I was like, what? Uh, That's great. I sound so great, Um, which is exciting. (laughs) I also was like yesterday, somehow wanting to Instagram myself, teaching people how to put a drywall anchor in Yes, because I feel like women should all know how to put a drywall anchor. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, who am I? Am I like, you know, Tim, the tool man? Like what is happening with me right now? I'm really like, I don't, I know I'm rediscovering myself, so I'm, I'm not going to take up teaching people how to build things, but I, <laughs> I'm excited that yes, I, I'm a lover of all things yes. and I, and I that is that. true. I love that. We, yeah. we here are all about women being all facets of themselves all the time. And so yes. you get to yes. be this like incredible artist and creator and a builder and a mother and all of these things that mm-hmm. are just so beautifully intersecting together. So yes. Okay. So Christy, is there anything else you'd like our audience to know about you before we dive in to our conversation together? I mean, I guess I would just tell them where I'm standing right now in this moment. I'm sitting in this little town of Brevard, North Carolina, which my family has just a year and a half now moved to Mm -hmm. from Seattle. So I Pacific Northwest was my home. And then now I found myself somewhere in the Western North Carolina mountains. And I'm kind of like, where am I? So I'm, I'm here and I'm learning to love this six acre plot of land that we've just bought with these streams. And I I have a swing in my backyard that me and my kids swing on mm-hmm. in the daytime. I don't know. There's a there's a simplicity that I have kind of found in the land, which has been really sweet. So mm-hmm. I don't really know that that's exciting to anybody, but it's just maybe gives context so you know I, where I'm sitting, which might be helpful. <laughs> I love that. Well, it's so. very exciting to both of us, actually, oh, okay. because... Mm-hmm. I live in Seattle and I knew you were, you lived in this area for a while, but I wasn't sure where you relocated to, but I guess I live in North Carolina. I'm about two hours away from you. I'm in Winston-Salem, but Brevard is one of the coolest places, most like unknown, (laughs) underrated places in North Carolina. I think we have a camping trip planned there in like three weeks. It's like such a cool place. So 
Oh my gosh. Well, you should pop by and see us because it is really underrated. We spend a lot of our times in the woods and in the water and in the land. And that's been great because I love the Pacific Northwest. It was that way, but Seattle was really hard for us to get out and be in it. And now I'm saturated by it. Um, But also just what I do love is that when we moved, we bought five acres on Whidbey Island, which is right outside of Seattle. And we're building a counseling center there also. So we're going to be bi-coastal with our practices and our intensives. So anyway, I love both sides. I can have somewhere for both of you to come and hang yes, out. Ah, yes. I love it. You have such a connection with both of these places that we call home. So, really <laughs> so sweet. I love that. It's amazing. Okay. So let's do this, Christy. Let's get into I'm it. Ready. Um, I want to hear it all. So can we go back to the beginning? Can you give us a little bit of a stage setting of your childhood and how you grew up mm-hmm. with your parents and what you ingested about relationships, sexuality, your body mm-hmm. when you were young? Yeah. So I grew up small town. I mean, small town, Philpott, Louisiana, mm-hmm. like middle of nowhere, Cajun heartland. And I was a little girl who ran around barefoot and probably had an accent and spoke French half the time. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, can't, I was in a really small world, but I had parents who definitely wanted me to see the world. They knew that education, to them, education was seeing the world mm-hmm. and knowing that culture and language and people of all kind were our best teachers. And so I'm grateful for that in this small town where I think there was a lot of poverty and I wasn't aware of the world. I came from a privileged family that could get me in those places. Mm. Now, spirituality wise, I was baptized everything, but I started Catholic, very Catholic Cajun roots. And then started, as I started to see the world, started getting invited into different other religions and and cultures and understanding. But I was in like the Bible belt, so to speak, Mm -hmm. as far as when I moved into my college years and just understood that men and white men had the pulpit. Mm -hmm. Like that was what I understood. And what I didn't know what to do is that I had a love to teach Mm -hmm. and I had a love to preach about love and I was not invited you know, from just um, that standpoint. And so I went to seminary and kind of, I kind of had that same thing. Like I always had to prove myself. I had to get educated enough to be invited into certain circles. And so I decided, especially watching when my parents got divorced, my mom, she kind of lost everything. She was married to someone who cheated on her and she had to like build her way back up. She'd go to night school. She got her PhD. And I think I watched that and I made a vow as a little girl, like, Hey, I'm never going to be in that position. A man will never have that power over me. And so Mm -hmm. I went to school and I got every degree I could. And I learned how to make money on my own. And I thought it was important to own my own property. And there was just a lot that I was working out in the harm and the trauma that I lived through and survived. And then I, you know, was in this white male dominated world. And actually I was surrounded by a lot of men who had, you know, closet porn addictions. Mm -hmm. And so then all the men I'm dating, I'm kind of like, wait a second, is this what I'm signing up for? Because this doesn't sound fun. Mm. Uh, and so just that that conversation with different men that I was falling in love with and you know wanting to build a life with and then thought, I don't want this life. I don't want a life where 
I'm a sex object or I have to be something to you to make you thrive. Mm-hmm. And so then it was great. I got into um, a, a marriage with a man who really did fight his own demons with his own sexual and health. And mm-hmm. he became a really healthy man and an advocate for women. And I think that's the only reason I'm married today is because he still does his work mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. kind of give you know context to that. And there were things I'd ask for, like, hey, I need my PhD first before you do, because I've sat with too many women who were taking care of their husbands going through school, and then they were divorced, you know, right after, and they mm. were left with no money. And mm. I know that in my bones, and so mm. I can't have that for my own story, or I can't, it's, it's my demons. It was my voices. It didn't mean my husband was that man or that he would have done that, but it was too loud for me to show mm. up, honestly. And so I had to require a lot. And I realized that as I keep going, the more I require, the kinder it is to me for my story. And mm. that's been kind of nice because I think as a woman or where how I grew up, it was tend to the other, take care mm. of, entertain, that kind of thing. And, and so the more I've been honest and said my need and required what I've needed, I'm like, oh, I'm okay. And now I can push myself and see if I can take my own breath away, which is my goal in life. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that, that's kind of how I come. That's yeah. the storyline that yeah. I think that I'm at now, yeah. you know? Yeah. I am so impressed with your like advocacy for yourself skills. Like where did that come from? How did you like turn that on? How did you like fight the cultural messages and be like, wait a minute, what I want and what I need actually matters. I don't think it came originally and i would say i still probably have a lot to learn but i can remember going into my pastor's office in college like every week and i mean i'm debating these things like you know should women because i loved these things and i was like Mm -hmm. i don't want to break the rules but i just don't think these are the rules Mm -hmm. or if i'm Mm -hmm. female and i'm made in the image of god then i don't know that this is the rules for me just because it, it doesn't seem right. It doesn't add up. And so, you know, after weeks of going in in there and finally being like, oh, I have to give permission to myself of what do I really believe. And I, I do tell this story is that the moment we lost our firstborn son and the moment I lost him, I couldn't stay as intimate in relationship with God if God was only a man. Mm-hmm. I needed to know God as the female and I needed to really, really believe because I, I need, if I, it was a God who said, I understand what you're going through. I needed to know that that was true. And if that's true, then I bleed, I birth, I bury, and I need to know that you know that too. And that's actually your heart that comes from your heart. And you, you gave that to me and you know that. And so, yeah, I don't know that I knew it right away, but Mm -hmm. it came to a point where I wanted to hold on to my relationship with God. And I wanted to love God more than anything in my life. And I didn't want a white man to give it to me or to take that away from me. Mm -hmm. And so that meant I had to find it within my own journey. And that meant I had to ask a lot. And, And guess what? There are really incredible humans who step up and who really have shown me the face of God and the hands of God. And a lot of those are women, but there are good men who have stepped up and done that too. And I honestly believe that they want that. I I honestly believe we want to be called to our fullest. Mm, Yeah. We want to be called to our fullest. I think that is seeing the good in a way that can be hard to see sometimes with all of the Mm -hmm. gunk around us of you know, we talk a lot on here about the struggles with patriarchy and toxic masculinity and all of that, but that's not the whole picture. 
Mm-hmm. There's so mm-hmm. much goodness yeah. inside that we can be moving toward and, and recognize and see and know that there is a desire for that. So I love so much your emphasis on that. Well, and the truth is, ladies, I'm still figuring it out, right? I still go to therapy mm-hmm. 20 years later. And I think it's because we can only take people as far as we go ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so there's that something where I have to keep churning to be my best self. Mm-hmm. And so I loved it when Dr. Valerie Rain wrote um, Patriarchy Stress Disorder. I was so grateful for that book. I was like, here's a term that we are all feeling that we can't be free because of this outside presence. And I was like, oh, that, there it is. And then, you know, fast forward a couple of years later, and my therapist is like, are you just fueling patriarchy by how much power you give it? And I was like, mind blown here. Like, wait a second. Where am I not stepping into my own power and just saying like, yes, that can be true. But I even want to keep going past that of what in me is also fueling that out of my fear. Mm -hmm. And where am I not listening to those parts of me? And also, I mean, even if we just take sexuality, like if I listen to my body and I'm really honest about it, it's going to bring me into my what I know fully. And patriarchy has shaped so much of my sexuality. Mm but I do not want to fuel it anymore. Like, yes, I want to name it, but I don't just want to hate it. Sure, I can hate what it's taking away from people and how it's disempowering, but I'm fueling it by continuing to be out of my own power and my own voice and my own truth. And so, yeah, I've just been pushing myself to say, what is my good body asking of me and telling of me? And can I trust it? Can I trust her? And in that, can I trust that God created this body to live out of its honesty mm. and that it's going to bring me into my most honest self? And so, yeah, so it's just been a journey. That's what I'll say. Yeah. It's been a journey and I'm still on it and I'm not, I have not arrived mm-hmm. and I'm just going to just keep saying what I'm feeling because I think mm-hmm. that she's guiding me well this far and I'm grateful for her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my you goodness. Know. So this concept of listening to your body and trusting her I know that didn't Mm. that didn't come naturally either and when you're in a PhD program and there's a lot of white men all around you like that's not the primary message so when did you start getting the sense that you needed to do that to listen to your body and how did you begin that journey yeah I mean I would honestly say that when I was in seminary I was not married I was not having sex so I wasn't even really that aware of my body I think I went really asexual in the church to mm-hmm. climb the ladder right like mm-hmm. there was a lot of muting that I did mm-hmm. and I became very heady so that I could spar like with mm-hmm. the with the greatest right like that I could like take them on I used to try mm-hmm. to you know um, do spoken word or poetry or even sermons where I was like trying to out sermon the other. Mm -hmm. And that was what was motivating me. But my body was not invited to that conversation at all. Mm -hmm. And I needed to trust that my body was not bad or broken. Right. And that she actually like was telling me something. And and she was explaining like I've had trauma and I've had grief and patriarchy has marked me. Mm -hmm. But that she also has a louder like cry for something. So mm-hmm. I'd say it wasn't until marriage and it also wasn't until our pastor in Seattle asked me to be a part of the teaching team. And in his invitation to women, I was like, man, he wants women to bring what they know that men don't know. 
And he believes that we need to hear the message that's coming from the female body just as maybe more importantly, because we've heard from the white man for so long. So that kind of like invitation, I was like, wait, that means I actually have to be in touch with my body. Mm. And then there was a lot of things my body had been waiting to say. Mm. And then she was really loud. She was really angry, to be honest. Mm. And so, you know, first couple of years, like it was just loud and messy Mm -hmm. and angry. Mm -hmm. And then after, I think she calmed down a little bit. And I like bless her for those years too. But I think there was a sense of where she became my compass and a guide. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds, I, I, I can hear it. I know it doesn't sound doctrine-like to say that kind of stuff. It's a bit woohoo-y. And now that I live in the mountains, I, in the middle of nowhere, I got to be really careful that I don't sound more woohoo-y. But <laughs> it's true. It's like the female body is a brilliant compass. Mm-hmm. Like I do think the female body is really here to offer salvation to the world. Mm. I mean, that sounds insane, but it's like whenever, when we interpret the word helpmate in Genesis, like we interpret it as helpmate and and it's not, the woman is interpreted as savior. And the only other times that word is used is when we're using that Christ came to save. And so there's something about our bodies being broken and bleeding monthly that is telling a story of theology that is actually offering salvation to the world. You know, I think when women are divorcing themselves from their bodies, it's because it hurts too much to be in our body. And I, you know, I looked at a woman today, even in therapy, and I just said, there's very few of us left. There's an epidemic that's taking out femininity and the feminine soul. And yet there's something of truth in the feminine soul that is really I think a salvation message, not the salvation message, but I think it's offering something of, wait, to bleed and to birth. And I don't just mean to birth a child, but to bleed and to birth and to bury and to know that process. Like what women know inherently in their bodies is mind blowing to me. And I, I do think it's a compass and a guide for all of us if we let it be. <laughs> so much here. <laughs> yeah. I am obsessed with everything you're saying because, yeah, I come from like a different kind of path. I'm not really, you know, I am spiritual, but not religion and stuff like that. But everything you're saying is like resonating with me like so much. Like, but I want to dive a little bit deeper into this. What do you mean by the path to salvation? Like, you know, that's the female body is one of the paths. I want to hear more about what you mean when you say that. So for the woman who is not in a religious context, Clarissa Pintola Estes, women who run with wolves, she would say the life death life cycle is the way in which the world keeps going. Right. Mm -hmm. I would take the Christian context and say, the way of the cross, the crucifixion, Holy Saturday, resurrection, Sunday, like that path is the life, death, life cycle. So we're all talking about the same thing. Well, the female's body, the way she bleeds every 28 days, she is telling us a story of life, death, and life. Whether it's just in her creating herself, her most honest voice coming whenever she bleeds and breaks herself open, Right. She's telling us a story that the seasons are telling us every year. We go through Mm -hmm. fall, winter, summer, spring. Like we are knowing a story of seasonal cyclical life and death. And the female body is telling us that all the time. Men, they struggle being embodied. It doesn't come inherently. It doesn't mean they can't be. Surely they can be. 
but even their sexual organs are outside of their body, mm-hmm. right? Whereas a lot of ours are protected internally. And so we hold a mystery in our female body. So that's mm-hmm. what I would say is the story of salvation is, I mean, I think the, the seasons are telling us this is how you grow something. You plant, you bear, mm-hmm. and then you fall, and then you die and you hibernate. And it happens all over again. And that's how life continues. And Mm -hmm. so I think that's that female body. She's telling that story every month. Mm -hmm. And again, it's not about having a baby. It's about you saying, look, I know the way for true life to come. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's through living, it's through dying and it's through rebirth Mm -hmm. again and again. Mm -hmm. I love that definition of like salvation and just the, the enjoying and the acceptance and the, yeah, the, that cycle, that beautiful, beautiful cycle of the seasons and our bodies. And like, it's the beauty of life, I guess. It's what we're here for. It's, it's enjoying right. being part of this cycle is just kind of the, the, the path to living this best, truest life that we can while we're here and embracing that and like recognizing it. I'm just learning about this in my own life over the last couple of years. And I'm very nature oriented is how I experience my Mm -hmm. spirituality. And I've gotten deep into the, the cycles of the body and nature. And once I started paying attention I felt like I was awakened to so much outside of me and became aware of so much. And like my life has become more alive and more beautiful. And I'm more intentional and I'm more on my path and my purpose since I started following this. So when I hear words like salvation, I don't really understand them that much because I don't come from a religious context. But hearing you explain it in these words, I'm like, oh my gosh, I completely resonate with everything you're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where my heart was, okay, if I'm going to ascribe to maybe not even a religion, but some kind of spirituality, it's like, okay, if I'm going to believe in this, I need to understand it in a different way than it's been taught to me. And I do Mm -hmm. think that I want to stop apologizing that men are not telling the story the correct way or for women, Mm. right? It's not that they're not telling a story that makes sense to them, but they're not telling the whole story for Mm -hmm. the whole population. And I I think that in a, in a lot of contexts is not just in the binary genders, but it's just like, we're not telling the full story Mm -hmm. and we have to listen to each other to start learning the story and the stories in each one of us. And I think we bear an image that is like no one else. So why aren't we just hungry and curious about the person in front of us and what their story is? Because it's going to tell us something about this life, death, life cycle if we look close enough. Um, But I have found myself fascinated by the female because I'm like, wow, she tells it whether or not she wants to. Mm-hmm. And I'm more drawn to care for the woman who mutes herself because mm-hmm. I learned to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this is how I make it in society. I just have to, I just have to just change this a little or change. And, and, and that was actually the wrong way to go about it. Mm. But it was a survival technique. Yes, sure. Yeah. It wasn't the most honest. It was my, my adaptive self. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I would love to hear more about that process for you because it sounds like that muting season, it sounded like ended a bit when you did get married and when you did get invited into teaching spaces. And so you also Mm -hmm. were muting your body, your femininity. There was a lot of you that was put in that box because other people told you that's how you need to be successful. So what did it look like? 
to let your body come out of that box in your marriage? Mm -hmm. Gosh, in my marriage, man, it was a, it was a lot of confronting and, you know, I wish I had started seeing couples sooner because when, when couples come in and say these things, like, I feel like I've been maritally raped for two years, you know, and you're thinking to yourself, I can see how you're saying that and right. Their partner will say, I have never done anything when you've said no, or, you know, and, and she's saying, but in my mind, I was saying no, my body was saying no, I was closed up. I was not, you know, and you're hearing this and you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is the story for so many people because we've conditioned our bodies. So I think that I had to confront that myself in the beginning of my marriage, where it was like, in my sex life, I didn't know my own sexuality. I had been taught to either turn that off and then just tune myself to the societal or male sexual lens. So I didn't know my own arousal cycle. I didn't know multiple orgasm. Like I, it's almost like I felt shame for my like sexual power. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Oh wait, I have a clitoris mm-hmm. that only has the function for pleasure. Okay. I better not say anything. <laughs> that seems like, mm-hmm. you know, we should calm that down. Like, okay, I better not say this, but all I'm hearing about is the power of a man's sexual drive and his penis. And so like, maybe I need to like figure that out, mm-hmm. but I wasn't listening to my own body. I didn't even know her. So I think sexuality definitely invited me into that because I had to start being honest and my body was either saying no or yes. And I was, I was having to pay attention, Mm. but when someone else is in the other room asking for your body to join them, then most of us, we hear a lot of voices in the bedroom, right? We hear all the past lovers, we hear family of origin, we hear stereotypes, we hear our pastors, you know, it's a loud room. And, um, Mm. I think that I had to go through a season of probably exile where it was quiet enough for me to hear myself. Mm. And I think what that meant is I had to say no to everything else so that I could hear her Mm. because all I could really hear in, in the face of my husband was what I assumed my husband wanted. What I could hear is what I assumed the church wanted, what I assumed my job wanted, what I assume Instagram wants me to put for followers. You know, it's everywhere. We don't get still enough very often to know what we actually want. And then we're in front of the face of the other and we're trying to figure out what we want, but that's not really the place. Right. So how did you do that exile then? How did you quiet those voices? Yeah. Well, for me, I, um, I mean, this is not for, for everybody, (laughs) but basically what I did in my own marriage was I decided all my girlfriends were going to be my best friends and they were going to meet all my needs instead of me asking my husband to meet those needs. So it was a very, it's a very mm. Christian way to stay married, but also get not ask him for all my needs. Now, do I think a partner should give you all your needs? No, I, I don't at all. But I could see that I was hiding in my female relationships and in my sisterhood. And I was kind of getting my needs met there. And I wasn't really being as vulnerable and asking for what I wanted. In that process, what I told you was I moved literally cross country and left Mm -hmm. my entire community, my entire sisterhood, this beautiful tribe that I had. But what I realized was I was left alone with myself and... Mm -hmm. So, I I mean, that's why I'm saying I'm still on the journey. Like, I don't know that there was one moment that I, like, it wasn't like I got married and my sexuality started and then I thought, oh, okay, this is what I want in sex, which means this is where my body shows up. You know, it's like, it's been this journey. Mm -hmm. I've now moved across the country where I'm back into a more Southern, white, patriarchal 
kind of atmosphere of the Bible Belt. Like I've had to find myself in, in different ways, but exile has been, there's no one around for me to hide in relationship with them. Like for me to somehow mm-hmm. move towards. And again, I, I'm so thankful for my sisterhood, but I know that I was hiding from my partnership and places that I needed to bring my voice. Mm-hmm. And I was just, I was getting my needs met other places. That's my story. That's not everybody else. But I didn't realize that exile, when it does come for you, and at some point it will, whether that's through divorce, whether that's through separate, like it comes for you somehow, whether that's through a move, um, whether that's through all your friends just leave, you know, Mm -hmm. or you have a baby and you get isolated, however it comes for you. I think we don't realize that exile is a gift. And once we realize it's a gift, then we know yeah. we've actually moved through it. And so the beginning of exile is when everyone's voice is still in my head, even though no one's around. Mm. And the gift of exile is when it's only my true voice coming through. Mm. That That's where I think we have to get to know our embodiment, right? We have to know our bodies. Mm. And a lot of times I was hearing everyone else's voice instead of my own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something that I'm loving that you're saying is when you're talking about how you found your sexual relationship in your partnership, you're not saying, oh, I I left my friends and had, you are saying I had to go in with my husband and get closer, but first you had to go to know yourself. It's not like, oh, this exile didn't teach you, oh, I just need to dive deep into that relationship and lose myself in that. Instead, it said, okay, I need to get to know myself and then enter that partnership knowing my whole self better. I love that. Yeah. Because the truth of it is, is we have to be individuated to give ourselves to someone. We have to have a self to share it with anyone. And our sexuality is ours, no matter what, like Mm -hmm. it's always ours. Even if we're, even if we're partnered with someone in long-term partnership, we share sexuality with them, but we never give them our sexuality. That will Mm -hmm. always be ours and it'll come back with us. And I think if for women, And for myself, what I hope to is like, can you find your sexuality? And, and then will you, if you want to share it with someone, that's one thing, but if it's not yours and it doesn't come back with you, you need to be mindful of that. Like no one gets to take from you that. And, um, and that's, that's in this book I'm writing right now called her rights. And it's the rights of passage in every woman's Mm -hmm. life. Like we get to belong to ourselves first. And honestly, we have to belong to ourselves first before we can belong Mm. and give ourselves to anybody else, you know, and share ourselves with anybody else. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I want that message just like shouted from every rooftop that like we, (laughs) we are our own before we are anyone else's, no matter what your marital Mm -hmm. status. That's not something that I think Mm. is taught at all or taught well in any circle yeah. within religion yeah. or outside of it. And mm-hmm. I love hearing your journey yeah. on that. So Christy, I would love to dive in a little bit to this season of darkness that you went through when you lost your child and your relationship with your body and your husband during that time. Mm-hmm. Could you give us mm-hmm. a little bit of just that story and what that season was like yeah. for you? Mm-hmm. So I had, you know, I had never had a baby. I was pregnant. I was healthy. I had no reason to think that anything was going to happen. We didn't have trouble getting pregnant. And then at 41 weeks, this is such an interesting part of the story. 
I remember it was like the last days waiting. You know, you're doing, for me, I was like, okay, I don't know. I'm just going to do everything. Like, do you jump on the trampoline? Do you like go for a run? Do you do hundred squats? Like, what do you, what do you do to get this baby moving? And I remember this moment where I was dancing with my sister and my cousin. We were doing like karaoke and we're dancing. We're like, we're going to get this baby out. It's like after midnight. And I sat down with them after we were like laughing and getting water and I felt this feeling like, um, like almost, a, um, yeah, like a fibrillator, like stopping. And I kind of put my hand on my belly and I was like, that doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. And my sister and my cousin were like, well, let's just go to bed. And my husband was already asleep. And so I was like, okay, just go to bed. But I think I knew in that moment and I still to this day, and that's when I can come back to the body. I still to this day wonder if I had been more aware of my body what might have I done? Hmm. Again, I don't put the, like my son's life necessarily, but the womb is supposed to be the safest place. And I'm literally losing my child who's healthy in my womb. And um, so when we get to the hospital the next day, there's no heartbeat and I don't believe them. Like, I'm just like, it's so interesting. Mm. My fierce belief that all was going to be okay. Mm. And my husband's like kind of falling apart. And then we go for the ultrasound and there's no heartbeat. And like, and I'm like, what? I don't understand. And I remember that I had made a birth plan that I wanted to coach my son out of my body. Mm. And I thought like, that was just cool. I had heard that idea. And so I thought I was going to do that. And I had kind of planned to, and just give him these words of how to come into the world and into life. And after we found out we had lost him, they induced me and he was breech. And so I went into labor knowing I was going to deliver him breech and knowing I was going to tear. And um, it was the darkest moment of my life. And I was in that room and it was so dark. I just remember the room was so dark and I just felt like all my power and choices had been taken away. Mm. And then this voice inside was like, you wanted to coach him, like coach him. Mm. And I mean, it's so weird. There's all these doctors, my husband's there, my midwife's there. And we all know, and it's really quiet and everybody's working and there's a spotlight and it's dark everywhere else. And I'm cold. I'm so cold. And I remember just like digging into the deepest part of myself. And just being like, you can do this. And I just began to speak. Like my brought my voice into the room. And I just said, brave, you can come. I'm ready to meet you. I'm so ready to meet you, baby. Like, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Like, it's okay. And I don't know that those were my words. I, don't, I can't honestly say that. I remember what my words were. But what I know in that moment is that when I look back at that woman birthing him, I took my own breath away. And I do think that that's important because at my darkest, like core place, I saw my heart and who I am. And I brought my voice to the room. Mm. And I know now I wasn't coaching my son. I was coaching myself. I was coaching the little girl in me who was so afraid, yeah. so afraid in this moment of what to do with death. She's brought on this earth that like, right, I'm a woman. I'm supposed to bring life into this world, whatever I believed. Yeah. And now what am I doing? Like, I'm going to bring death. Like, how do I birth death? Mm. I don't know. But I know that I coached myself through it. And I, I do think like I was listening to my body and it was one of the 
one time that like I really remember my body I was in my exile and my body was speaking and I heard her and she wanted to she wanted to coach she wanted to hear my voice lead her Mm. and I did and I think that was the invitation like I was like oh that is the woman I am Mm. and I believe that's in every one of us I believe that is in every human and so I don't want every human to go through their darkest place but I do want every woman to know her voice and to know when her body's asking her voice to be spoken aloud Mm. and and for her to listen like Mm. to listen to that longing and to speak Mm. so that's I mean that's the story that I'm at least that's where I went when you asked that question but what what else Rachel what more um can I share about that I just I love that it came down to your voice it was so much, it was even bigger than what your body was experiencing. Like when I think of body, I think of like the motion of pushing and the, the experience of carrying, Mm -hmm. you know, and those are big, important pieces of that story. But when it came down to it, your deepest part wanted that speaking, wanted that voice, wanted that bigness. Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. that is such a powerful illustration to show how much all of our bodies need our voice to speak mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. because i think our heart and internally we we carry the truth i think we all do yeah and yeah. our body is like we know what's up but it's making mm-hmm. it a spoken mm-hmm. thing and mm-hmm. the, that is yes. the final act of embodying mm-hmm. our truth is saying it aloud yes and i know that's something i still struggle mm-hmm. with is putting physical mm-hmm. words to my own experience mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is true, but there is something so brave about speaking it. Yes. And yeah. Yep. I just, I love, love so much that you listened mm-hmm. and culminated that need in those words. I think that's mm-hmm. just so powerful. And I, and I do think that's what you're saying is that that's the hardest part is actually putting the voice to our internal feelings and what we know Mm -hmm. inside of us. Mm -hmm. And that's why when I do sit with women who are in relationships where they're staying silent or, you know, or they're, or they're living in some paradigm where they're not bringing their true honest self. I don't want anyone to go to that such a dark place to know their voice, but I would just say like, would you stop and be still and listen to her? And, Mm -hmm. and will you give her voice? Like what, what is coming up in you? And, and so many times I don't think women ever regret it. I think women regret when they don't give voice to what their body is saying. Mm -hmm. I don't regret coaching myself in front of all those people, you know, in knowing that I might look silly or like an idiot or or like, doesn't she know, like her baby is not alive. Like, doesn't she know? Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. He can't hear her. Mm -hmm. I might be misunderstood Mm -hmm. in that moment, but that wasn't what mattered. Mm -hmm. What mattered is that I needed to hear my own voice Mm -hmm. and I heard it and I heard her Mm -hmm. and she heard her. Mm -hmm. And, and that's what I would say is that I don't think women regret when they speak. I don't think they regret it. I think they regret when they don't speak. Yeah. Yes. And I think we get really up in our head about our tone or the way it comes out and things Mm -hmm. like that. We get highly Mm -hmm. criticized for the Mm -hmm. manner in which we say our truth. And I know that's where I get kind of caught up too, but it's acknowledging the deepest part of it, which is the truth itself, regardless of tone, Mm -hmm. 
it just is what it is and like yeah. allowing that room for for that truth yeah. to, to be spoken up. So. Yeah. And I mean, that's even why I honestly think it's changed for me. But on the weeks that um, I am on my period, I'm so grateful. I'm like, you guys are getting the most honest me, the most unfiltered. And let's write everything down that I say, because it is good. Like I worked a long time. I worked three weeks to get to this honest self, like those last three weeks. I mean, I was I was saying some things, but like this this is like, we're on holy ground here. What I'm saying is good. And I, I think my, it's the best place for my marriage. Some of the conversations we have, I am so unfiltered and I'm so grateful mm. because it gets us so much faster. And I think I even tell my clients that like, look, you're going to get your money's worth by bringing your most honest self. You say what you're most afraid mm. of. You say what you're most afraid to say, what you, what you're scared to say, like, that's how you're going to get the most out of this. Mm-hmm. And I, I am so grateful. I literally look forward to the week that I bleed because it's going to be a great week for everybody. We're going to get stuff done and it's going to be amazing. Yes. I'm going to create some of my most honest, beautiful things. Like it's, it's my chance literally to be in awe of myself. That's what I've learned. Mm -hmm. And, and, Mm -hmm. and so I just like, man, I do think Rachel's right. Like we should stop apologizing. Like why do we filter? Like mm-hmm. that is so unkind mm-hmm. and you're right. The way we change our voice or inflection or we say it this way or mm-hmm. what if that, what if all of that is a farce? What if mm-hmm. all of that is a smoke screen? Mm-hmm. Let's not waste our lives anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, <You> please. Know? <laughs> like, so much wasted right. time in relationships. So much <laughs> wasted time. Yes. And I, I just, you know, we, we got business to do. Like yes. this is, it's hard enough. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. And, and, and I mean, and I think like my most honest self is like glorious. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I want my friends mm-hmm. in their most honest self. I honestly want my kids mm-hmm. in their most honest self. Mm-hmm. Like I want my partner in his most honest self. Like I want that, mm-hmm. you know, um, mm-hmm. I, I don't, yeah. I want to know them. And this is why, Rachel, one of our tenets of this project is that telling the truth leads to better sex. We talk about it all of the time for all of the reasons that you're just talking about right now. I feel like when people think we're talking about that in the bedroom, it's like, oh, I'm telling the truth about what position I want to be in or something. And that's a small part of it, but it's so much bigger. These deep deep truths where we know ourselves and we understand ourselves, what we understand, what we want, what we don't want, what we need in and out of the bedroom, like all of that Mm -hmm. in every facet of ourselves, the more we let ourselves be known, give voice to it, the better our sexual relationships Mm -hmm. become. Oh, yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that again, when we know our most honest self is like, we talk about this with couples, but even with ourselves, like say if one person is just like, I want to have sex and the other one's like, I, I'm just not feeling it, you know, whatever. And they're like, okay, you're okay Mm -hmm. if I masturbate. Okay, well, then all these people have different thoughts about masturbation, right? And Mm -hmm. you say, well, I'd like to know what you're going to go masturbate to. What thought, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe your partner Mm -hmm. says, well, I'm going to masturbate to this when we were in Mexico and you had that outfit and I remember, and you say, actually, that was a really terrible trip for me. And at that night, I actually felt totally disrespected Mm -hmm. and I actually didn't enjoy that. Mm -hmm. And when we made love that night, I, I felt less than, and then he's like, Mm. oh wait, okay. So that wasn't good for you. Well, can you tell me when was a place that you did feel empowered and yet you felt good? And if I'm going to use that imagery, like I want to know you, if the point is to be known 
and to know the other. It's like, why don't we just be more creative about knowing the other person, which is asking the questions. I like, how was that for you? Where were you at in that moment? Mm -hmm. In this memory I have of us, it was like this for me. What was it like for you? Right. Mm -hmm. We have so much that we still can explore in partnership by letting the other person Mm -hmm. be their own individual self. And it will bring us Mm -hmm. into incredible intimacy. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it it is that Mm -hmm. invitation. Like I, I mean, I tell this story a lot, but when I had a DNC for a miscarriage and my husband asked me for the first time, he was like, I want to have sex after that surgery. I was like, look, last things that were in me were surgical tubes and they were taking our child out of us. The idea of pleasure and arousal and getting off to you entering that place without knowing that that was my body's last experience. I just, I can't get there with you. Like Mm -hmm. that's not, I'm not aroused right now. Mm -hmm. I need something else. I need you to know me. And can, can you know me and can you know what my body's just been through so that I can get to a place where I can have joy and pleasure back in that. But for me, that's what's happening in my mind. And I am so grateful for that conversation. That conversation, Mm -hmm. it was just so um, helpful to us as a couple. Mm -hmm. Like I was like, oh, I want, I'm not going to be embarrassed. I want to be known. And it's okay that I don't feel aroused right now. There's nothing wrong with me. Mm -hmm. Actually, there's something wrong with me that I would try to force myself to be aroused after. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. we were so close to a place of death. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Too soon. Right. Like know me Mm. and then let's move towards spring. Let's move Mm. towards like cultivating the ground to grow something new again. Mm -hmm. But like Mm -hmm. not right now. Yeah. Yeah. I love all of this, this concept of needing to be known before that physical element can be brought to the table. Yeah. Um, because it's not just about the act of sex. It's the arousal. It's the space they're entering. It's all of that. But I'd love if we could do a little like sidebar here because I I hear a lot of women talk about how their husbands, they need the physical before the emotional. So Mm -hmm. could we talk Mm -hmm. about that for a minute? Like what are some of your thoughts when it comes to men who are like, I just need that physical connection with you before I can have Mm -hmm. that desire to like have that emotional connection? Yeah. I, I think we're talking about really, really shallow sex in this moment, Mm -hmm. like it's really primal Mm -hmm. and we're talking about hormones. Mm -hmm. We're just talking about a a base level primal sexuality. Mm -hmm. And that can be what it is if that's the relationship you're in. Meaning like if you're, if you're having sex with a different partner all the time, then your oxytocin is going to spike and that will be okay. But if you're in a committed relationship, then that's pretty shallow sex that isn't going to work Mm-hmm. sexuality has to mature. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I think if we're just saying that, then we're, we're missing the point there. I'm not saying that there's not a primal desire or there's not a hormonal cycle. Of mm-hmm. course there is mm-hmm. definitely. And that's not all sex is. And also sex is, is that just give me definition? Is that just getting off? Right. Is that intercourse? Right. So it's just like, if, if your partner just wants you to jack them off, well then is that considered sex? Like, did we check the list or not? Yeah. You know, so I, I think we're talking again about like such a shallow definition mm-hmm. that it's more like, wait, no, 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 no. You need to know more. That's his disembodiment yeah. in that moment. Yeah. And he needs to be more embodied and know what he actually needs. Because mm-hmm. just to say I need sex, well, 
what does that mean? Do you right. need to get off? Right. Is that what you're saying? Do you, right. do you need just sexual pleasure? Do you need to feel aroused? Where are we? And um, so I just think like maturation is the, the conversation yeah. there is yeah. like, how do you get more mature in your sexual story, in mm-hmm. your sexual life? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm. I love that comment about that being a disembodied experience for him. Yeah. Because I don't think we talk about embodiment with men very much. Well, right. Like we're struggling to talk about embodiment in general, but I think that it's more of a feminine conversation than masculine. And so talking yeah. about yeah. the masculine embodiment, I think that is oh, yeah. a very unique way mm. of putting it. I agree. Yeah. And truthfully, if we're talking about partnership, if I'm mm-hmm. building a sexual entity and relationship with someone, it's going to develop and it's going to mature. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to want to build that with someone who's embodied. So I want my partner embodied because I want maturation in our sexuality, mm-hmm. what his body wants and what my body wants and how they come together. Right. And what that dialogue is like, mm-hmm. but if he's disembodied, which is the curse for the male, mm-hmm. the male is always going to be more likely to default to disembodiment. Mm-hmm. Right. It's always going to, because that's mm-hmm. even hormonally how it's structured, mm-hmm. even testosterone. It's that's how it plays out. So that's okay. It's our estrogen that makes us bleed, right? It's our, it's our female hormones that, that spike that make us stay so embodied. Mm -hmm. We literally have to be in our body. We get bloated. We have pain. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. men are not having that same response with their sexual hormones. Mm -hmm. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, testosterone might make them horny, might make them like hard. We can talk about these things, but that is such a simple layer. It's like, babe, now what are you really asking for? Mm-hmm. Right. And for a lot of men, it's the relationship they have with the women. They either hate women and they don't know it. They hate the power that the female naked body has over them mm. or their relationship with their mother. And what was either over connected or what was, or what was held withheld from them. Mm. And so, I mean, a lot of questions that I ask men are like, were you breastfed? For, like that's one of the main questions wow. I ask men and they're like, look at me like, what? And I'm like, well, breasts are where we're satiated from. You get your nourishment from. It's not sexualized mm-hmm. when you're a child. So just tell me the story. Tell me a story of satiation for you, mm-hmm. right? Because then I'm going to know as you're a grown man, what you're hoping for to be satisfied, right? So we're, we're thinking like, if I just give him enough sex, mm-hmm. he'll be satisfied. If I just get him off, he'll be satisfied. But we're talking about satiation in the wrong way. The first person to satiate the male and the female was the mother's breast or, Mm. I mean, it's formula now. It can be all kinds of things. But Mm. what I'm saying is we're talking about a conversation about satiation. So do you know your husband's story around satiation? Mm. Very helpful Mm. when you're in the context of sexuality, Mm. because what is he coming to you for to be satiated? Well, he's got to learn how to satiate himself. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Because then otherwise I'm your mother, not your lover. And I don't want to be your mother. Mm -hmm. There is nothing arousing Mm -hmm. about that for me. I am not aroused by that. I am your lover. But if you're coming to be satiated by me, all of a sudden I'm your mother and my breasts are just breasts to satiate. Why do I feel empty in that? Right. So the disembodiment of the male keeps him from knowing what he actually really wants in sexuality. And it's a setup. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, yes. It's just blowing my mind. That's all. 
<laughs> it's a satiation conversation. Oh my gosh. It is. I know. It's this so is like good. putting words to so much of what I feel like my body has known and mm-hmm. like that we have discussed yeah. offline mm-hmm. here, Caitlin yeah. and I. And I feel like it's just yeah. that next level of, of conversation, that that satiation. Absolutely. I mean, we talk about just this concept of like getting off and like we talk about, you know, men using their partners to get off. It's a satiation issue. Yes. Yes. And Mm -hmm. even, even the way you pose the question, right. is like, oh, I just, you know, the man says, I just need the physical to then have the connection. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wait, but that actually, like, that is a very primal response. Like even the setup is female give me what I need, satiate me, feed me. Uh What, when a man's hungry, angry, tired? Oh, God. (laughs) I'm like, here we go again. It's like, why, Mm. why are we, why are we contexting this to what are your needs so that then we can connect? That doesn't make any sense. Be your own damn person. Be a grown ass man and know who you are. Be embodied in that body of yours. Mm -hmm. Bless you. And then tell me what it is you, you need and how we want to co-create our sexuality. Yes. Right? Now, yes. does that mean the same mm. for the woman? Yes. Woman, don't be giving yourself away to your husband and your children and not actually knowing what you are as a lover. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we also can hide behind mothering. I'm, you, yes. So I'm, I'm not trying to just pick on men, but I am mm-hmm. saying they're grown-ass men. But if they're acting like children, it's because there's some there's some wounded child or adaptive self that is not in their adult self. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we don't want to be married to little boys. No. Mm. Right. I, right. That's just a clear boundary. Yes. Right. We don't want to be the mom. <laughs> and we sure. don't want to be no. having this relationship with a wounded child versus exactly a whole adult yeah or even or even an adaptive child because then mm-hmm. it's just like wait i don't want to have it with a with a teenage kid either you know right. a horny teenage kid right. like that's right. not mm. that's not a good lover i want my partner to be a good mature wise lover mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. so what would you say to a man that wants to do this work in his life to kind of take that path to get there to mature in his sexuality how would you guide them down that path? Well, I mean, narrative and story work is the way I've been trained. So that's normal. What mm-hmm. I have done in the last like five to 10 years with my husband is more somatic work with our couples. If I was just talking to the man, I think him knowing his own story, one is huge. His own embodiment work is big. Mm-hmm. And so whether that's seeking therapy, self-awareness, somatic work, I, I, I just think there's so much to be explored, not exploited. And so much of the time, I, I think mm-hmm. men are exploiting something and they don't even know how not to, because that's how they were conditioned from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And yet what they really, really mm-hmm. want is to explore safely what's happening in their stories because they do want something from the female. They do want a lot in sexuality. And, and so I think their own story work is where I would start. Mm-hmm. And then I would get into somatic work and getting into their body. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, that's the work that my husband and I do every day and it's great work. Um, and, and, and there are a lot of people I can get, I mean, I can name off good therapists that can help men do that work, but Mm. I would say story work first and then somatic work second embodiment work. Amazing. Mm. Yeah. Well, we'd love to connect our audience with some of those resources. If you want to like send me a few of those afterward, we can put them in the show notes too. Um, Yes, definitely. Um, So as much as 
like, I would love to talk with you about this for like six hours. Um, (laughs) I would love to wrap up our time together by asking you what we ask all of our guests, which is if you could go back in your own story to being in seminary, pre-married around a very masculine white presence, what would you say now to yourself about your body, about your voice, about your own sexual self in that season of life? What would I say to her when she's in that season of life? Like how would I coach her or mother her? her? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I would literally tell myself to walk in the room and probably look at all those men and say, I plan to astonish you all Mm. and then turn and walk out. Mm. And so I wish she would have known those words. Like, watch out. I'm I'm not going to apologize. I actually, I plan to astonish you all. Mm. I love that so much. Beautiful. And it just, again, states that that worth, that worth that you've now found in your own voice Mm -hmm. and self. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and I really becomes my prayer for women of all, like that they would, like they would know the awe of who they were created as, because I, I do think that's my biggest grief. Um, and, and my, my biggest hope for my daughter is that she knows that she is equal and that she is glorious mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that her astonishing us all is, is exactly who she was created to be. And there, mm-hmm. there was never a question of that. Like, of yeah. course, uh, yeah. take our breath away, mm-hmm. do it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, incredible. Christy, thank you so, so much Aww. for being with us today. Of course. My mind has been blown so 50 times over. <laughs> I'll be sitting I'm on so this. Great. Seriously. <laughs> I, this is one that I'm going to listen to probably a few times. <laughs> so I'm so glad. Yes. Oh, I'm so grateful. Thank you both for your time and for what you're doing and the work you're doing in this field. So grateful. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Not Tonight podcast. If today's story inspired you to take the next step in your own relationship, we invite you to take our free key to closeness quiz. Go to nottonight.org slash quiz to get started today. We also greatly appreciate your support by subscribing to future episodes and please leave our podcast a five-star review. Until next time, keep doing the work in your sex life, whatever that looks like for you. 